Well, I'm not at a loss for words to this morning. God's given me quite a few. So <laughs> turning your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. But that song definitely expresses what I feel sometimes as I'm thinking about what to say and preach on. We're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 34. We're going to look at the personal and the powerful traits of God's kingdom this morning. So I keep sharing with you kind of sort of what Mark's gospel is and a reminder that it's a concise account of Jesus's three years of ministry here on planet earth. And Mark gives kind of an overall view of everything that Jesus did. He doesn't give a very detailed, he doesn't give a biographical, he doesn't even give a chronological detail. The only thing really chronological about Mark is it ends with the resurrection, <laughs> which is where most gospels end. So that's the only thing that's chronological about it. But he takes a whole bunch of events and compiles them into this testimony that he wrote. And he's given us some breadcrumbs along the way to kind of remind us constantly what he's writing about. He's writing about the kingdom of God. He's writing about the secret to the kingdom of God, which is Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 7, verse 8, verse 11, verse 15, verse 38, in that chapter, there's several spots there where Mark once more tells us where he's going and what he's talking about. Chapter 2, verse 10, chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 4, verse 11, he tells us, I'm talking to you, I'm writing to you about Jesus and he is the secret to the kingdom of God. So today's passage is kind of an example of that. He collects four parables. Most of the, three of these parables are accounted for in the other gospels. They're, they're retold there. There's one parable that is not. And he grabs them together and he just puts them in one spot so that he can kind of illustrate to us what Jesus has been teaching. Because he keeps telling us that. Jesus taught the large crowd. Jesus is teaching the large crowd. A large crowd gathered, and Jesus taught them. Jesus is going around preaching. I mean, he's telling us that. In four chapters, he's told us that a gazillion times. So he's preaching to us about the fact that Jesus is preaching. So this one illustrates that Christ's message has always been and always will be about the kingdom, and these parables are just that. So let's read the passage, and then we'll talk about it some more. Starting with verse 21 of chapter 4. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this, he said. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller 
than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these as they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these parables because they challenge us to spend time in your word. They challenge us to pray, think, meditate, ponder, seek advice, seek help to understand what the kingdom of God is like. I pray, God, that as we've heard probably many applications and many other uses of these parables this morning, that you'll give us clearer insight into what they really are meant to be for. And may we glorify in your kingdom, which has come through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to do something different this week. I'm going to start with the last verses, verses 33 through 34. And the reason is because it's the way the Greeks wrote. They would write something and then summarize it at the end or kind of tell you why they wrote it. Now, in the military, they taught me to tell you what I'm going to tell you, tell you, and then tell you what I told you. And, and that's, that's a little redundant, but that's what, they, that's what they taught you in terms of speeches. And what we would do is we would take verses 33 and 34, and we would put them at the front and call them an introduction or a preface or a foreword. But Mark puts it at the end, telling you why he just wrote what he wrote. So we're going to look at that a second. Uh, the parables that Jesus has expressed, and we've talked about this before, they're designed to conceal and reveal truth. The parables cloak the truth to some eyes. Some eyes, they give it a silhouette. They can kind of see a shape, but they don't know what exactly it is. And so that's kind of how the parable to them, and, and in this context when, it was, when Jesus was telling these, that's the way it is. It's a silhouette of the gospel to the lost. Jesus keeps the undiscerning guessing. Those who don't have the discernment, the spiritual discernment to hear Jesus, he's keeping them guessing. While giving those who have been called, his disciples and a few other followers, he's giving them, they've been given the insight, so he gives them the explanation. I wish we had all those private lessons that Jesus taught them because then I wouldn't have to grapple so hard to prepare a sermon on parables that are hard to understand. But that's not God's plan, so we're going to go with what he's set before us. So, but Jesus, I think, also in all of this, and this is something we always have to remember, Jesus sets the stage. You know what he sets the stage for? The Holy Spirit. He sets the stage for the Holy Spirit to enter individual hearts and illuminate the word of God to them. You know, Jesus could have explained it clearly. They still wouldn't have believed it. But he sets the stage and he puts all these parables out there and all these concepts out there. And then in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes and light bulbs go off everywhere. 3,000 light bulbs at one point light up and they realize who Peter's talking about. They recognize Jesus and they begin to understand some of, some of these parables and in some aspects. But I want us to understand that there's not an impermeable boundary between the insiders and the outsiders right here with Jesus. Some of them will come to Christ, but right now they're not hearing him. They're not listening. They're not understanding him. By grace, many will cross over the line and be saved. And when a soul is given the regenerative presence of the Spirit, then that person will understand. And that's the stage Jesus sets with these parables, with those who are not saved during his ministry. 
So now let's look at the teachings, the four parables that Mark has recorded for us. They're not in any kind of chronological order. They're not in any kind of connected order necessarily, except they all talk about one thing, the kingdom of God. <laughs> so we can, that's, that's where I built my whole interpretation this week off of Keep going back to the kingdom of God. So first of all, there's two parables that focus on us, our personal application of the kingdom of God. And then there's two parables that focus on the vastness, the subtleness, the intricacies of the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches the, with these parables those who can understand. It's not that he teaches down to them. He teaches those who will understand, and even the ones who aren't understanding, he shares the parables with them, but sometimes there's, there's, they just don't see it. But it tells us how we're to live in the kingdom of God that is present at this time in our hearts, and this is a little microcosm of it right here when we gather on Sunday morning to worship God. And we can see the eternal impacts of the secret of the kingdom of God that he highlights here with these parables. So what does the secret of the kingdom mean to those who understand it now? Well, Jesus teaches here two aspects of the kingdom. So first we're going to look at, number one, the personal application of the secret. Verses 21 through 25. So this is a couple of the parables here. Follow along, I'm going to reread this. He also said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, I'm going to start off with a little disclaimer. Most times, the second part of that, that second parable there, people use it to talk about wealth and money and prosperity. And that's not what it's about. Like I said, keep going back to the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus is talking about and that's what Mark is writing about. So I'm, I'm not going to spend much time on that, but he's, Mark is continuing from the soils parable. I think he just told that parable and, and it, it doesn't chronologically fit with these either necessarily. But... He's continuing from that. And the, and the fact that only those called will understand, which was illuminated that. And so Jesus says in this, these parables, first one, he says, light it up. Tell everybody, shine your light. If you have the secret of the kingdom of God, then let it shine. It's not our job to conceal it. Jesus told parables to conceal it from those who don't believe. We're not called to do that. We're called to light it up, share it. Don't worry about where, what, whether people are going to believe. Don't worry about whether they ever see the light. Share it. Get it out. Any light or lamp is meant to illuminate. How many of you go into a room to turn on a light and then walk out and leave it? Most of us turn off the light when we leave the room. Uh, if we could get our kids to do that, it'd probably help our electric bill. But the point is, is that when we light a lamp, it's meant to light something up, illuminate something. Jesus says, put it on a lampstand. Don't put it under a basket or a bowl or anything else to hide it. Remember, Jesus is the secret to the kingdom of God, and we talked about that last week. He is the light of the world. Let's go back to John 8, 12. He is the light of the world. So think about Jesus when you think about this metaphor, this parable about a light. So anything cloaked from understanding will begin to take form and clarity in his light. And this happened with the disciples. They begin to see things. They begin to see things about Jesus that they didn't quite understand, but they said, there's something pretty cool about this guy, and I'm trying to figure out what it is. It's like, for example, when he dies, they were distraught. 
But they begin to think about it and talk about it. And then <laughs> when he rose from the dead, boy, some light bulbs went on in a lot of men's minds and, and, and followers of Jesus' mind. Remember, remember the two on the road to Emmaus? They're walking along and they're all just, they're just like confused. Jesus rose, the grave is empty, and, and Jesus kind of walks along with them, catches up with them, and he starts explaining to them. And the light bulb comes on while they're breaking bread together, and they run all the way back to Jerusalem that night. Traveling at night was not something people did back then because they wanted to tell the disciples that they had seen Jesus and what they had learned from Jesus. And so one day when we die, we'll understand a lot more about heaven, hell, the Bible. We'll understand it more. We'll see more clearly than we see right now. And on the last day, when Jesus comes back, boy, will it be, well, a lot of light bulbs will be going on that day. We'll all be seeing clearer because we will see him as he is. Praise Jesus. So Jesus begs them all now in, in starting right here in verse 24 to pay attention. Listen to what I'm going to say, he's saying, basically. He warns them to be careful how they use the secret. Not to be stingy with it, really, is what he's trying to say. Because what Jesus is about to tell them is very contrary to what the world's going to talk about and the ways of the world. See, the standard of measure, or what he says, the measure you use, the standard of measurement you use, this goes back and it, it, it symbolically ties to how they dispensed grain and, and sold produce in the market and stuff. Someone had, you had a scoop or something, and it was supposed to be an exact amount. And so you had, you had an ephah, you had maybe a half ephah, you had a two ephah, you had a scoop or something that you knew was the right amount. I mean, we use, we use things like cups and gallons and, and uh, whatever the metric system is. Um, we use those things to measure out what we're doing. I mean, you don't, uh, some people can do a recipe without measuring. I cannot. So you've got to measure. And Jesus is saying, whatever you use to measure, it will be measured back to you. So don't be stingy. Don't be stingy in what you share about the secret of the kingdom of God. No, I'm not pleading for you to give more money. That's not what this is about. It's about what you use about Jesus Christ in the secret of the kingdom of God to the world. Whatever you use is going to be given back to you, measured back to you. Jesus says in kind of a symbolic way, the more you listen to the word of God and, and, and the word of Jesus, the more truth about Jesus you'll grasp. The more truth obtained, the more we should give away, share the secret. So the more you get, the more you should give. I didn't, I didn't start out teaching Sunday school when I became a Christian. I was in college. I just sat in a Sunday school class. But after about four years of sitting in a Sunday school class and trying to understand and grasping and sitting under really good preaching, I grasp a little bit more about the truth. And God finally pressed on my heart, hey, you need to teach. My first Sunday school class was seventh grade boys. I must have been crazy. But God blessed it, and, and it just kind of grew from there. And so that's what God, Jesus is telling them. What, what you use is going to increase what you know. Use more light. Use your light to gain more light. That's what I meant to say. Use your light to gain more light. Giving the secret away, the secret of knowledge of the kingdom of God, gets you more knowledge. Knowledge begets knowledge. Light begets light. You get more. Now, he talks about those who don't use it or don't give it away. Basically, those who have may lose what they have. For whoever has, more will be given, and whoever does not have. 
So what is that talking about? Well, in the whole passage here in 21 through 25, I believe that there's a division that, that between those that God gives a new heart to and those who do not have a new heart. They may understand or hear the truth and, and think they, they, they think they agree with it or they think they believe it. They may have some recognition of it, but they have no lasting effect. And without using it and without trying to find out the truth, it'll fade away. Those, they will lose even what they thought they had. It's kind of like the, the good soil and the rocky, thorny soil. The rocky, thorny soil thought they had a good seed and, and they, the, the, the thing sprouted up. But the thing about faith is it's got to be exercised. Faith is what makes the seed grow. And you've got to exercise that faith and exercise it in what you know. I've talked to so many people who, who won't come to Christ because they don't know who Cain's wife was. Who, who did Cain marry? They won't come to Christ because someone said something one time to them that contradicts their, their emotions or their sensibilities. But they know that Jesus is the Son of God. They say they do. They know that he's the Christ. They know that he died on the cross. They know that he rose from the grave, but they won't confess it because something they read in the Old Testament bothers them. That's not using the knowledge and exercising the faith that you have. Like I said, many will think they understand the gospel, but without listening to it further and investing their lives in it further, they'll never find the secret of the kingdom of God which is Jesus. So let me give you kind of a bottom line to these first two parables. Using the light and measuring tool, Jesus instructs on the personal use of the secret of the kingdom of God. And what it says to us is get the word out. Use it. Tell people about it. Jesus promises the more light and measure you dispense of him to the world, the more light you will gain, the more truth you will gain and understand. You won't understand it all, trust me. Now, why does this work this way? Well, it's the supernatural way God chose to work. You know? I mean, we got words on a page in a Bible, and we know that that's the inerrant word of God, and we read it. But for some people, it just clicks, and some people, it never has any effect on them. And I, I can't explain it. It's just God. Okay? It's the supernatural way. But the Spirit will illumine more as we speak more that, that Jesus is the light of the world. I want you to hear God's word on it. In, in, in Psalms 132, 17, Psalms 132, 17, Jesus is the lamp in this psalm. He says, I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. In Psalms 119, 105, the lamp is the word of God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In 2 Peter 1, 19, Peter equates the lamp to the path to Jesus. He says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, which is Jesus, arises in your hearts. The lamp is the path to Jesus. And then Revelation 22.5, the lamp equals God's glory. They will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. When we get to heaven, there will be no sun. We won't need that big ball in the sky, because God will illuminate everything. There'll be no shadows in heaven. Now, from Genesis 3 to Revelations 22, we know that Jesus Christ is the secret, and the, the Word of God proclaims that He is the secret to the kingdom of heaven, that there is going to be a Savior revealed that will crush Satan's head, and He has come. And so, 
Beloved, you have the greatest secret in the world. Regardless of all the conspiracy theories you hear out there about our government, you have the greatest secret. And guess what? It's been declassified. It's now available to everybody through Jesus Christ. He says share it. Sharing it is what we were meant to do. And if you are timid or you're lacking in knowledge, it may very well because you've not completely heard it yet. The more you share, the more you'll learn. You know, in seminary, I learned a lot about theology and doctrine. A lot. I've forgotten stuff. It went in one ear and oozed out the other because there was not enough room in my old brain. But my internship, my internship exposed my inadequacies at sharing these truths. How, how un how bad I was, I guess, is the best way to say it, how clumsy I was at understanding what these truths really speak to our hearts about because I tried to share them, and it just was hard. But you don't give up. You keep trying. Our faith cannot sit on a shelf for display. It's not something you dust off on Sundays or even at Easter and Christmas. It's something that you use constantly. It must be a tool we use regularly. Use your muscle of faith. Muscles that aren't used, atrophy. And we know a lot about that. But stretching our understanding, it grows your discernment. It grows what you know. Get your hands dirty using the knowledge of God in the lives of others. I mean, that's what we're called to do. And you can watch, watch God grow you in many ways that you didn't think you could grow. The secret of the kingdom of God is meant to be shown. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be sown. So get out there and do it. The personal use is effective. And Jesus has told us how we need to be using it, and that's to share it, to measure it out to people in big, big scoops. But it's, it's effective because of the power of the kingdom of God. And that's point number two, the powerful application of the secret of the kingdom of God. Look at verses 26 through 32. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like this. Now, I want you to understand when he says that, he's not saying this is all the kingdom of God is like. He's giving you like a very small portion of it. Okay? He doesn't give us, we couldn't handle it. The kingdom of God is like this. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. And as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And then he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. So he's given us two more parables, and he's really trying to show us and the world how intricate, how countercultural, and how powerful the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God will spread by the proclamation of the word of God to humanity, the sower. We saw it last week in that parable. Jesus uses that same kind of parable metaphor to continue to, to explain what happens after the sower casts his seed out there on the ground. He uses, he uses uh, botany and seeds, and uh, I know many of you are not botanists probably, but uh, he's using that to illustrate the incredible effect the word of God has. Germination of a seed shows how ignorant we are about the kingdom of God. 
the farmer didn't know how it came up. Now, we know a lot more now, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But the sower doesn't know, does not know how the seed becomes a grain-bearing plant. He only sees the produce at the end. And Jesus really speaks here more of, a, of an end-time reality of when Christ returns for his bride, the church. When he comes back and takes us home. I mean, we wait for that seed to be produced. We wait for God to finally tell his son, the harvest is ready, go, go get them. Then, then the hiddenness, the ambiguity of the kingdom of God will be realized in this glorious, glorious manifestation at the end of time. The kingdom will appear, grow, and produce without our understanding. That's what Jesus is trying to tell them. It's going on right now, even though you can't see it. An example of that is the Chinese church and not the government church, the church of Jesus Christ in China. It is growing by leaps and bounds, but we don't have a count because they're hiding because they have to because the church is growing and it's going to someday reach its point where God says it's time to go to harvest. But you know, we don't understand it, but we get blessed when we participate with it. Go, going back to the first two, when our previous point where we, we shine and we share what we have, we get blessed. But the kingdom of God is that, is, in this parable, the point is that the sovereign God is in charge of human history. And he, he will make sure it gets to its proper destiny that he ordained in its time. So that's the first parable there. The, 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 the growing of the, of the seed. And then the next one is about a mustard seed. It was the smallest known seed. Now, we know of smaller seeds today, but it was the smallest known seed at the time. But it grows to a bush 15 feet tall. That's an amazing production, right? A little seed, and I, I've seen one. They're not, I mean, you, I can hide them in my, between my fingers. They're small. But it would grow. It would have strong branches. It would have plenty of foliage, the mustard bush or mustard tree, some gospels call it a tree, the word's kind of synonymous. There would be plenty of foliage for nesting, and there would be persistent roots that grow in your garden. Um, as a matter of fact, one commentator said, I don't even know why you'd plant this thing because it's almost impossible to eradicate. It's a lot like crepe myrtle. Crepe myrtle, you, you can't get rid of them. And so the seeds fall, and they germinate in very light soil, and they germinate quickly. So you can pull up the bush and think you got it, and some, some seeds that fell while you were pulling up the bush might germinate and grow it again. It's a, very, it's a very persistent bush. But Jesus is using this bush to illustrate how vast and sufficient the kingdom will be on earth. See, many in the crowd that's listening to these parables, they don't see the kingdom of God. They don't see it at all. And it's right there in front of them in Jesus. They don't see it. And that's what Jesus is trying to explain is that this thing is growing right in front of you and you don't even notice it. Only the word planted can produce the kingdom in one's life, but only when faith is granted to that person will that seed sprout. And so Jesus is telling them it's, like, it's kind of like a, a very secretive thing that happens. You don't know how it happens. You can't explain it. You can't predict it. You can't make it happen. And in this is there is also an eschatological prophecy an end-time prophecy. I used a big 50-cent word on that one. And a, and a current effect to this parable. So Jesus is talking about how good the kingdom of God is through this mustard bush example. Well, first, the kingdom will provide support, shelter, and protection 
for eternity for those who trust in the secret to the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. That's the first thing he's telling us there, that the end is already determined for those who trust Christ. And then second, he's saying the lost world will even benefit. The lost world benefits from the branches of the kingdom of God. And we have that in examples like hospitals. A lot of hospitals were started, founded, and, and created by some Christian denomination or organization. Hospitals, uh, universities. Most, most universities, we have the older, oldest universities in here started out as seminaries. They started out as Christian Bible teaching seminaries and colleges. Universities, any kind of aid that we provide through the church, that by the churches, those some of the benefits that the lost world gets from the kingdom of God, but they may never accept Christ as their Savior. And that's the sad part. But the seed is small, but the result is humongous. The result is eternal, and it's very powerful. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile, to all who believe. It's powerful. I think the germination of a seed, and I looked germination of a seed up this week, so bear with me, but I had to just kind of know, because I'm not a botanist either. But I think it kind of combines these two parables, the unknown reactions and the unseen vastness of what goes on when a seed germinates. Here's their description. Metabolism in the embryo and the endosperm increases. Water enters the seed, they swell, and enzymes become activated. And the conversion of materials within the seed intensifies with decomposition into sugars, fatty acids, and amino acids. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. But, but you read that and you go, okay. And a botanist reads that and he kind of knows a little more about it. But there's still a chemical reaction going on there that we don't even completely understand. I mean, we can look at the chemical diagrams and go, okay, that's why it does that. But we don't understand why it was ever created to do that. We know what's going on, but to understand why a dead seed becomes a living bush, I mean, that describes the kingdom of God. That describes the kingdom of God in a big way. And Jesus used the mustard seed in a peril, another parable in, in uh, Luke chapter 17 and in Matthew as well. He used it to talk about faith. And I think they're connected. I don't think Jesus messed I know Jesus probably did connect them, but I don't think we always connect them this way. But it's about faith. Here's, here's uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So our faith, even as small as the grain of a mustard seed, even just a piece of the mustard seed, is based in and on the kingdom of God. And if you have that kind of faith, you won't care about mulberry bushes or mountains being moved. That's, that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is that we will care about the kingdom of God if we have that much faith. We will use it. And it's as intricate as, a, as the germination is that produces a 15-foot bush. It's vast. Our faith brings a change in our heart that is 100% supernatural. And it is by grace through faith. And it's of God alone. Our faith connects us to a kingdom that is bigger than the entire universe. And we've never found the end of the universe, by the way. We've never been able to measure it. 
We've measured it pretty far, but there's still more out there. So the universe is pretty big, but we're, in a, we're involved in a kingdom. We're part of something so magnificent. Yet we can participate in the revelation that the kingdom is here, right here and right now. We don't have to care about how big it is necessarily, but we know we have a kingdom that we're part of. We can look at every event in our lives, and this is what we need to really do. Look at every event in your life through the eyes of the kingdom and the movements of God's kingdom. From trials to victories, it's all God working. It's what God is doing, and we are involved. Paul talks about it. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, God says to him, and he records for us, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. His power is on us. And sometimes we're so quick to try to do things ourselves or we're trying to make sense of all these events that are happening in our life. And it's the kingdom of God molding us and making us, giving us more information and giving us more strength. So let's not waste the power of the secret, but use it in our souls and the lives of others. That's what we're supposed to be doing, using it in the lives of others and bring them to that final day when he will harvest his church. Because in opposition or in persecution or in trials, God's people can be assured that the harvest will come someday. And God will deliver the righteous, he will judge the wicked, and every wrong will be righted on that day. I want you to understand this morning that Jesus gives us a glimpse into the power he wields in the kingdom of God. That's what he's trying to get across to us. And your faith, as small as a mustard seed in Jesus Christ, allows you to participate. We need to participate. Jesus told four parables here to illustrate the personal use of how we're supposed to use it and how big it is in the behind scenes of the kingdom of God. So in closing, I want to ask you this question. What if we all lived out our personal and powerful traits of the kingdom of God in this world? What if we lived it out in front of everybody? Lives would be changed. The world may not change. The governments may not change. That's not our goal. Our goal is to help individuals find Christ. Lives would be changed if we were living it out. So believer, let's get busy employing what we know about the kingdom of God. These truths put out there in the world will show the world that we care about them and we'll let our light so shine before men so that they will give God glory in what we do. Tell someone about Jesus. That's a good place to start. Ask them if they believe, have spiritual beliefs and tell them what you believe. That's called witnessing. If you want to become a full partner of our church, you can talk to me about that afterwards. Now, if you want access to the kingdom of God, but you're not sure you got it, well, you can get it. Okay? It only comes, though, through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, And faith says with conviction, believes with conviction, I trust you, Jesus, and you alone, your death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of my sins. That's where it starts. To realize I can't make myself right with God. Only Jesus can. It's a, it's a matter of conviction. It's a matter of no reservations. It's a matter of I trust Jesus for my salvation. And then you repent and you turn away. You put behind you all the things that you were trusting in to make you right with God, the things you were hanging on to. Because it always must be about Jesus because he is the secret to the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this 
demonstration in these parables of your kingdom and what it means to us. Thank you for giving us a little glimpse, even though it may not be perfect interpretation and it may not be all the application of the interpretation, you have given us a glimpse at how wonderful the kingdom of God is in our own hearts and how vast and powerful it is in the world. May we not shrink back from the world. May we step out in faith, in boldness, in courage, in love, and in compassion to reach a lost and dying world for you. That's what you've called us to do. That's why you gave us the light. Help us to run into the darkness and shine it. I praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus is tenderly calling, wanting you to come to faith in him. Do you hear him?